Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Pineapple Pizza Podcast discusses the histories, cultures, and beliefs of regions around the world. These stories often contain mature and sometimes disturbing content that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Pineapple Pizza Podcast, where we serve up slices of mythology, cryptozoology, and urban legends. It's an interesting combination of flavors. Weird, but it works. Today's special is Australian cryptids. I'm your hostess, Emily, and with me are the beautiful and creative Ashley and Lindsay. Hi. Hi. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say beautiful, not so much, but creative, yes. <laughs> I love your beautiful face. <laughs> You're the beautiful one. I'm the dopey one. Um, no. You're both... No, listen. Listeners, they're both lying to you. I kind of... I kind of look like the corpse bride. I kind of look like that. Yeah. It's the... this flesh. This area. Come on. Honey, we have glasses. You can't see ours. If we took off our glasses, they'd be there, too. Yeah, it'd just be like a dark pit of despair around my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> like like in the Princess Bride, the pit of despair. <laughs> That's just my eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. This is actually how they tortured Wesley. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay, take your glasses off. <laughs> Look into my eyes. The pits of despair. <laughs> oh my god. Make it stop. Make it stop. Put it back on. Oh my god, I don't mm. even know how to sagoo from that one. I wanted to dedicate today's meals to our friends CK from Mirths and Monsters and Chamilla from Listen to the Film Podcast. Because CK had requested that I do one of the, the cryptids in this, and Chamilla is our dear friend from Australia. What up, Chamilla? that was just like delay 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 what the fuck up man i'm sorry i wasn't prepared i wasn't prepared for her to be like sneaking in a what up no really hi tramilla (laughs) all right Before diving into our meal today, I felt that it was important to kind of get a little bit of history about Australia because its size and its history really have played a huge role in what I'll be serving up tonight. Australia is not only a country, it's also a continent. I think a lot of people 
don't really think of it that way, but it's a continent and it has a landmass of approximately 2.97 million. Yes, I didn't write million, but it's million square miles, which is almost 3 million. (laughs) (laughs) Did you read (laughs) it? I'm so tired when I make this. Oh my god. I'm gonna be honest. I'm gonna be sad if the title of the episode isn't It's Almost 3 Million. Oh my god. Such a dumbass. Like, duh. 2.97 is almost 3 million. Oh my god. Fucking up my glasses. <laughs> I'm crying. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Don't write your notes when you're tired, kid. <laughs> okay, so Australia has a landmass of approximately 2.97 million square miles, almost 3 million, or a little more than <laughs> 7. <laughs> We're a little more than 7,692,000 square kilometers. Okay. (laughs) To put that into perspective, Australia is approximately the same size as the contiguous United States. So, like, the lower 48? Yeah. Okay. Australia is big. We don't think of it here in the U.S. We don't think of it as being that big, but it's pretty much the same size as most of our country. Forget Alaska. Alaska's way up there. Sorry, Alaska. Bye, Hawaii. You don't count. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Puerto Rico. Even though you're beautiful and have much better, like, views than we do, you don't Mm -hmm. count. Hey, Alaska has really good views. They can see Russia from their house. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) No, not Sarah Palin. (laughs) Yeah, you gotta do the guns at the end. I can see Russia from my house. Pew pew. (laughs) I had to do the pew pew sound. It was important for my soul. If you don't pew pew, is it really finger guns? (laughs) That needs to be on a shirt. I'm writing that down right now. Oh god. If you don't pew pew, are they really finger guns? <laughs> I'm so dumb. <laughs> no, that was amazing. Oh my god. Okay, I'll be quiet now so you can actually do your episode. Okay. So it's approximately the same size as the lower 48. Its population is a lot smaller though. They're there are an estimated 25.5 million people living in Australia in 2020, compared to about 331 million people in the U.S. So there are a lot fewer people. It's a lot smaller of a population in a country that's about the same size. Yeah. So the population density is a lot lower. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of open, uninhabited space in Australia, which really isn't that surprising, considering that like a good chunk of it is desert. Yeah. It's uninhabitable. The continent became an isolated landmass between 55 and 10 million years ago. So that's a really slow process of it kind of breaking away from, I think it was 
Gondwana was the big landmass at the time. And that isolation has contributed to its notorious biological uniqueness. Like the creatures in Australia are really unique. What was there evolved under entirely different conditions than anywhere else on Earth. So you see creatures there that you don't see anywhere else. From what I could find, the earliest estimated date of human inhabitants on the island was approximately 60,000 years ago. They were actually, um, I think they were the first people to break off of like the main Asian continent and they came down to Australia and they're like, hey, this place is scary, but we're going to stick around because it's too long of a trip back home. <laughs> what are boats? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> I have it replaying in my head. <laughs> oh, oh no. You broke Ashley. <laughs> I was trying so hard to not laugh. At it's, it's okay. You know what? I'm going to go back to thinking about how cool the platypus is because that's Australian and maybe that'll make me stop. Mm hmm. Because they're really cute. And it actually kind of comes into play a little bit later. Oh, cool. So they settled the island about 60,000 years ago. But permanent European settlers didn't begin to arrive until about 1788. So that's 60,000 years, essentially, because that was only 200 years ago. 60,000 years, it was pretty much just the aboriginal tribes on that isolated island all by themselves. Ashley, you kind of touched on this in your story, but um, according to Australia.gov, there were more than 500 tribes or clans that were spread around the whole continent. But again, I kind of want to remind everybody about the sheer size of Australia. 500 tribes or clans. Thinking about that over, if you're American, think about it over the entire lower 48. That's not that many people. Their stories, beliefs, and customs were handed down through countless generations using oral rather than written traditions. And again, I think that you kind of touched on that in your story, yeah. which really plays a lot into what we'll see a little later. So now that we've had a little context, let's get started with a truly unique appetizer called the Yaramayahu. Have either of you heard of this thing before? No, nope. but I'm really excited just based on the name alone. I loved reading about the Yaramaya who this was fantastic and I hope you guys love it as much as I do because it's brilliant so my sources for this little bite are a pantheon.org article entitled Yaramaya who a book of creatures page with the same title an amino apps article titled Yaramaya who the Australian vampire Ooh. A 2014 Atlas Obscure article by Megan Roberts called Bastards of the Bestiary, Eight Mythological Creatures Too Gross, Sad, or Monstrous to be Loved. And the Wikipedia page on the Tarsier. Okay, so found almost exclusively in the forests along the Pacific coast, the Yaramayahu are small, ugly, bright red vampiric creatures that you do not want to have a run-in with. They're mean little buggers. These creatures are described in various sources as three to four feet tall, humanoid, toad-like, or goblinish. So it kind of depends on who you're talking to. In appearance, with massive bulbous heads and stomachs. 
And I just love this gigantic oversized head. <laughs> I just bulbous. totally. It's bubbles. <laughs> I picture up one of those Funko Pops. Like this massive head on this tiny little body. And in reality, it's probably just dragging that head behind it because it's so big. <laughs> I'm just picturing a toddler sized like goblin with a giant head. Is it only toddler or is it two and a half toddlers? <laughs> it's, two, it's two and a half toddlers. Two and a half toddlers. <laughs> I was hoping the half toddlers would come back around sometime. <laughs> it's, a ha- it's a half step up from a regular <laughs> two toddlers. So the description, I started laughing when I read the description of these things because they live in the trees. They're supposed to spend most of their lives in the trees, but they have these massive With heads. Big- right. How? But there's... <laughs> They're, okay, so they're supposed to be strong climbers and swingers, but when I was picturing these things, I was picturing them like having to bend their arms to get their fat heads through. Okay, because <laughs> they can't straight arm it. So I know that this is not what you meant, but it's too late for me because now I am picturing the Funko Pop thing, but like red. And a little obviously bigger because they're only like this tall, mm-hmm. but you know what I mean? But now on top of it, it talks like Vince Vaughn and it's like, hey, baby, to everyone that it meets because of the movie <laughs> swingers. <and> I just... <laughs> so they have these massive heads. I kind of pictured um, like if you had a, a red skull from Captain America. That was his name, right? Red skull yep. as a Funko Pop, but swinging around. <laughs> Like, I will defeat you! <laughs> 100% what I was picturing. So anyway, they have this bright red skin and hair, and they might be covered from head to toe in a fine fur. So they're soft. They're plushies, too. Mm. But if you thought that they were cute, this is going to make you think that they are creepy as hell. They have a gaping snake-like mouth that's toothless. Because they don't eat animals or vegetables. So they have this massive maw that opens up like we're talking. Let's go back to Beetlejuice with that big, huge maw that just opens up and you suck something in like a snake. How can they be vampires with no teeth? Oh, you will find out. Uh Uh-oh. Instead, their hands and feet are covered in serrated suckers that they use (sighs) to drain the blood from their prey. Why? Mm-hmm. What's the mouth for then? No. <laughs> I don't like it. No, 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 no. No. <laughs> you sound like that cat that goes, no, 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 no. <laughs> well, maybe that cat found out about these creatures. <laughs> so some sources said that these tend to live in solid they tend to live uh, solitary lives and they look really suspiciously upon each other and other humanoid creatures there were others that did say they live in groups or kind of like hives or clans so they might all inhabit a tree together but either way they really don't like other humanoids interestingly even though they might live together and they they definitely have run-ins with each other others of their kind they don't sexually reproduce Oh, so they're like asexual? Uh-huh. Do they do like the cells? The, the mitosis? Cell thing? Or is this mitosis? It better not be. I'll leave. <laughs> mitosis would be cool. This is freaky. And I'll touch on it a little bit more in a minute. 
They are said to be incredibly patient. They'll wait for a victim, kind of like a lot like the Vodinoi. They just sit there and wait for hours and hours. They'll hang out in fig trees and just wait for days, if necessary, for the right victim to cross their path. So then if the victim comes underneath of them, what they'll do is they'll drop down from the branches and they'll really quickly overpower their target. Their favorite meals are said to be small children wandering alone. I mean, who isn't? A fond of a small child wandering alone as a to be snack. fair to be fair though you did say they're only like three or four feet tall so it's yeah. not like they're gonna take down a basketball player <laughs> i pictured them when they come out of the trees because their head's so big that it just that overpowers and that goes first and just lands on top of their prey like just, a freaking anvil in a cartoon they just headbutt them on the way down <laughs> Because there's no way that your head is staying upright in your body, like the rest of your body's coming down. No, if you have a head that big, that's diving first. Picture like when the little kids fall out of chairs and they go head first over. Uh, anyway. <laughs> so once they've overpowered their prey, they'll begin to suck the blood from them. But they won't drain them completely because they prefer the taste of a nice live meal. Nice and juicy. Mm-hmm. Instead, they will drain the blood until their victim faints. Then the Yarmayahu will peace out for a bit until the victim begins to awake. If that isn't freaking nightmare fuel right there. It attacks you and then it lets you wake up and then it comes back to start your nightmare all over again. I don't like it. Mm-hmm. And that's when the Yarmayahu does something that's really, truly awful. If you thought it was bad so far, it gets worse. It swallows its victims whole and alive. You wanted to know what that mouth was for? That big, gigantic, toothless mouth? That's what it's for. But because it's it's such a small creature, and this is a big meal, it's probably about the same size as it, it has to do a little dance, like a little jig, to get the meal down to the stomach. So you'll kind of, if you ever saw a Yaramayahu chilling out in the forest and it's dancing around, it's probably eating something and it's trying to squish everything down in the tummy. I'm just picturing a little like red goblin creature like running around the like the forest or something and there's like legs poking out of its mouth Ew. and it's just like dancing around. Because that's that's the kind of person I am. That's similar to what I pictured, but without the sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so it gets the food down in its tummy, and then it goes to a nearby water source, and it takes a huge swig of water, after which it's going to go lay down and take a nap. Because who doesn't need a nap after a big meal, right? (laughs) This is true. When it wakes up, it regurgitates its meal. No. Who is miraculously still alive. Except now the meal is a little shorter and a little more tinged with red. <gasps> no! Oh my god. You wanted to know how they reproduce, right? I hate it. <laughs> so that's the whole process. It's going to be repeated over and over until the victim has itself become a Yaramayahu. So you might be wondering, how do you defeat one of these things? If, or... Like most importantly, how do you avoid the fate of becoming a Yarmaya who? Well, I think probably if you're a six foot tall man, you're in the clear because there's no way that things get inside the guts. <laughs> don't be a don't be a small child. 
Don't be a small child. <laughs> Number one. <laughs> I just suddenly pictured it trying to eat a six foot tall man, but it can't get the whole thing down. So it's like only from the torso up. And then it comes out and that whole portion of the body is smaller <laughs> with these big legs. It just turns it around and puts it back in. (laughs) (laughs) Round two. (laughs) (laughs) Who doesn't like who doesn't like leftovers? (laughs) It's like flipping over your grilled cheese sandwich, right? It's only halfway done. (laughs) (laughs) That's totally how I eat my grilled cheese sandwiches. Okay, so if, if you're not a six-foot-tall man, if you're a small child, you're probably not going to be able to overpower in the initial fight. It's a pretty big thing, especially if it's using its head as a weapon dropping out of the, the tree. It didn't actually say it uses the head as the weapon, but come on, let's be real. What, what's really happening here? So you have to wait until after the first time you've been regurgitated. Ooh. But you cannot wait for it to regurgitate you again because you'll only grow weaker and redder as it goes on. So what happens is after the first time that you've been puked back up, you have to play dead for a while. Because remember, they only like live victims. So the Yarmaya who is going to poke you with sticks, it's probably going to try to tickle you. (laughs) It's going to poke you with a stick. Yep. That's the best way to know if something's dead. The poke it with a stick test. <laughs> so it's going to poke you with a stick. It might try to tickle you. It may even like... Tickle you? Yep. <laughs> That's worse than poking you with a stick. My favorite is that it, it might barrel roll you. So it might just start rolling you around. But you have to play dead the, the whole time. So once it gives up and walks away to take another nap, that's your chance to run. And it's probably going to hear you, but is unlikely to be able to catch you because although they're really skilled climbers, they're pretty clumsy on land. But I, when I read that they're really clumsy on land, I just, my first thought was why wouldn't they immediately go back up to the trees if they're skilled climbers and like Georgia, the jungle through the woods to try and catch you. Maybe they're tired because they just threw you back up. Throwing up is exhausting. That's fair. They're like, I need a swish of water. I need to lay down for a little bit. Mm-hmm. But apparently that's a thing. And that then uh, uh, people, when they come back into town after they've been puked up and they're a little red, it's the the story goes or the rumor is that they'll look like they're sunburned for the rest of their lives because they're a little redder. So part of my stories is always what could have naturally inspired this? And you might be thinking that a creature that's just this weird could not possibly have a natural explanation false <laughs> <laughs> it's believed that tarsiers may have inspired the story of the Yaramayahu. although they're not found in australia they are found in sulawesi sulawesi i don't know how I, I should have looked that one up i'm sorry if i'm mispronouncing that indonesia it's an indonesian island that's just northwest of australia it's about a thousand miles from the northern edge of australia But there are a whole bunch of smaller islands that kind of dot the ocean in between. So it's not unreasonable to think that something might have traveled across and that natives in Australia would have seen something like that. Or if they happen to travel to other islands, they're like, what the fuck is this thing? (laughs) 
<laughs> Have you guys ever seen a tarsier? No. <laughs> okay. So it's a little primate. It's a teeny tiny little itty bitty primate, and it's so freaking cute because it has these gigantic eyeballs, and it has these really long fingers, and it hangs onto the stick like this. <laughs> 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 but the ends of its, all of its uh, digits, all its fingers and toes, they have kind of like this rounded webbing. Not webbing. It's just rounded ends. Tips. Tips. Thank you. That word that apparently I couldn't think of. That four-letter word that I couldn't come up with. <laughs> it's just the tips. Just the tip. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fat rounded just the tip. But it kind of looks like little suck like little suckers because they're so big. Kind of like um, the frogs in the rainforest. Yes. Like yes. how they have the little mm-hmm. rounded things on their toes. Mm-hmm. So anyway, the, these creatures, the tarsier. It's possible, like I said, that maybe somebody had seen this and they thought, oh, this is really crazy. This is such a weird animal. And it inspired the Yarmaihu. But they're so freaking cute. I don't know how anybody would be afraid. I have seen these. Yeah. They're so cute, aren't they? They're so cute. If something like this attacked me, I'd be like, aren't you adorable? I would just let it kill me. That's totally fine. (laughs) Look at your little beast. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Look at your little face and your creepy little fingers and toes. I, I have seen these. They're so cute. I think oh, they're largely mm. insectivorous, meaning they only eat insects, but I could be mistaken. I don't think that that's going to eat a small child. <laughs> no, I don't no. see how that would even be physically possible. <laughs> they are carnivorous. Are they? Okay, so small animals. Because they, they're teeny tiny. They can't eat birds and even bats. Aww. I like bats. That's kind of sad. <laughs> I do like bats, too. So that that's the Yaramayahu. I could see how it might possibly inspire the Yaramayahu, but you could also see how over thousands and tens of thousands of years, how the idea of these creatures would change and morph, especially among 500 different tribes. Mm-hmm. Although I don't know really the region that this... I should have looked that up. I think it's in the fig trees, which would be like the southeast side of Australia, which is really far away from where I was saying that island is. And now my argument doesn't make any sense. Hmm. (laughs) Another reason not to write shit when you're super tired. (laughs) Sure, all of Australia is the same. It'll work. Anyway, we're going to take a quick coffee break and we'll be back shortly for our main course. We hope you've enjoyed your appetizer and you're ready to move on to the main course. And this is a good one. Prepare your palate for a taste of Australia's most notorious cryptid or spirit creature, the bunyip. Oh, okay. Yay. So I had heard of the bunyip before I started researching this, but I had no idea what it was. No idea. Do you guys have any idea about what this thing is? I've heard of it, but I have no idea what it looks like or what it does. I just know the name. Yeah, same thing. I've heard the name. That's that's really all I have. Well, this is going to be an interesting ride. So for my sources, I used two articles from Mysterious Universe. One, uh, a 2018 article called Beware of the Beastly Bunyip, and the other, a 2019 article called Mythical Aboriginal Bunyip Paintings Found and a Possible Recent Sighting, which I could not get 
could not get the recent sighting. I also used a 2021 Thought Catalog article by January Nelson called 18 Facts About the Bunyip, a cryptid from the swamps of Australia. A 2009 book by Brenda Rosen called The Mythical Creatures Bible. Thank you, Lindsay. You're welcome. An 1845 Geelong Advertiser article entitled Wonderful Discovery of a New Animal, which I accessed on, um, I used Australian government site called Trove, so you can access those really old articles. And finally, I watched season two, episode eight of PBS's Monstrum. The episode was called Bunyip, Australia's Mysterious Amphibian Monster. Mm-mm. So I found some good stuff for this. The Bunyip is a creature whose notoriety extends way back in the history of the Aborigines. The oral tradition for it originated long before the Europeans ever came to the continent. It's been around for ages. And it most likely originated as kind of a cautionary tale to keep children from wandering too close to water, kind of like the Kappa. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, Bunyip is actually just the name adopted by the European settlers. The creature itself is known by a whole bunch of different names, kind of like the Wendigo and Skinwalkers um, amongst the tribes. My personal favorite was the Wowie Wowie. Wowie Wowie. <laughs> I know. I loved it. Sham Wowie Wowie. But they have a ton of different names for it. I just, I didn't want to list them all out. Everybody knows it as the Bunyip, and now it's pretty commonly accepted in Australia as the Bunyip. So we're just going to stick with that. Even though a lot like the Skinwalker, the Wendigo, and the Kappa, descriptions of the Bunyip varied by region and amongst the tribes, that didn't really stop the European settlers from completely, totally hardcore buying into the stories that they were told when they arrived. So it varies a lot depending on which tribe you're talking to, but every time they hear it, they're like, oh my god, I believe it. But if you really kind of think about it, and about how crazy Australian creatures had to have looked to European settlers when they first came mm-hmm. here, it's really not surprising that they wouldn't have for a second doubted the validity of these stories, that such a mm-hmm. like a crazy beast could exist. Platypus. Well, we definitely thought those were made up. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, that platypus, that can't be real, but the bunyip, 100% factual. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... If you think about how many hostile creatures are in Australia, I think it's home to like eight out of the 10 most deadliest creatures in the whole world. It's crazy. Seven or eight, something like that. Plus, Europeaners had never seen anything like a kangaroo, a wombat, the duck-billed platypus before. So the idea of this beast, and you'll understand why I'm saying that this thing is crazy, that people bought into this, but at the same time, you can also understand it. As I mentioned, descriptions of the creature vary by region and by tribe, and they actually vary so greatly that there really isn't one kind of overarching idea of what a bunyip looks like. And you'll see what I mean really shortly. One description that I saw in quite a few of the articles was that it looked like a giant starfish. Okay. Okay. So just picture um, like a rabid Patrick. Yeah, Patrick Star. That's only the, that's really just the tip of like a really weird iceberg. In various sources, it's also described as having feathers, fur, long hair, scales, large claws, glowing red eyes, or one giant eye. It might have flippers, horns, one horn in the middle of its head, tusks, a duck bill, or platypus beak. It also might have the head of a crocodile or dog. It might have a beard 
or a horse's tail. It might have a really long skinny neck or a short thick neck. And it might have a stomach mouth. What? Yep. <laughs> like an actual starfish. Don't they have a stomach mouth? <laughs> I don't understand. Why would you believe that this is a thing? <laughs> None of that's even close. Right? They vary tremendously from one person to the next and from one tribe to the next. And it's just, it's crazy. I love it. It's like playing a game of, uh, what was that, the telephone or grapevine or whatever yeah, in kindergarten. And by the yeah, by the time it got to the end, you're going, where did you ever come up with this? Who did this? All I kept thinking was like the Mr. Potato Head of cryptids. It's like it would just like yes. take off and put on whatever it wanted. I'm going to be duck billed and have a horse tail today. Kind of makes me think of um, things. Of, it makes me think of the Boggart in Harry Potter when yes. um, okay, yeah, it's dressed like Snape, but it's wearing the Neville's grandmother's uh-huh. clothes. Yeah, <laughs> that was amazing when that happened. Uh-huh. That was amazing. Where was I? Oh, okay, okay. Boggart. When it- <laughs> yeah, so that, that's kind of what I pictured was like this creature that just morphs depending on who's seeing it. What do they see? They see something that they fear or something that they recognize. Because when it's being related to known animals, it's commonly described also very, very differently as being like an emu, a horse, an alligator, a kangaroo, a dog, or a seal. So again, really, really different animals. So basically, whatever will make you shit your pants the most. Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, see, the thing is, from what I understand of the stories is that people didn't say it looked like a dog. They would say it was about the size of a dog or it had a head that was shaped like a dog, but they're not saying that it looks like that. Or when they start describing the morphology of it, somebody else goes, oh, well, that sounds like a seal. So that's how it then gets. But it's not that anybody directly calls it. It looks like a kangaroo or it looks like an emu. I would think if you lived in Australia, you probably know what a kangaroo looks like and you're not getting confused about that. Yep. But I suppose for people who are outside hearing about it for the first time mm-hmm. and don't know what any of these creatures are, they're like, oh, well, what's a creature I know? A dog mm-hmm. or a seal. What can you relate it to? Yep. Later descriptions following the arrival of the Europeans kind of morphed the bunyip into a, a humanoid creature. So it changed again. And that one might look kind of like a cross between a Vodianoi and a Kappa, where it kind of it's like a fish-toed human thingy, and it might possibly have straw-like hair. Yeah, I saw some renditions. It was very interesting, which was the renditions of that are totally different from anything else. You're going, how are you buying into this? But it's it's total boogeyman. How can you have straw-like hair if you're in water? Ponder that for a while. Pond? Ponder. Ponder, Ponder it. Because oh, it's an aquatic creature. She's like, I'm done with you. Get out of my face. Get out of here with that shit. I just thought it was so funny reading through all these descriptions because I don't know if you guys remember when we were talking about Larry the Lariosaur and how those descriptions were all over the place. Mm-hmm. Where some it was like 12 meters long with red scales and others it was only... 80 centimeters or something like that. But this thing is even worse than Larry. It's crazier than Larry. So 
Even though we've gotten off to a rather murky start, there are a few fairly common characteristics shared amongst most stories. And they're pretty much always, these things are pretty much always considered aquatic creatures. They're said to hang out basically anywhere there's water except perhaps the ocean. One source, the Mythical Creatures Bible, specifically said that they're freshwater beasts, but I did see mention in a couple other sources that uh, they might inhabit salty water. I found mention of them being reported in rivers, lakes, swamps, and brackish, which are salty bodies of water. So if you think about like marshes near the ocean or um, a freshwater stream right next to an ocean and how the salt can kind of travel upstream, brackish water. Or maybe even like a tide pool or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they're also found in areas um, where water flow is really intermittent. So it might be that there's water there sometimes and not others. This could be because the Banyap is reported to be supernatural to some extent with the ability to control water levels. So it's like, hey, I want to go hang out over there, but there's no water. I'm just going to go eat and get some water. <laughs> it doesn't use the waterboarding stone. That's the water getting oh. sound. <laughs> it just eats over to like, where it wants to go. Is that how you make things happen? No, I can't. (laughs) I want some pizza. (laughs) Now I'm upset about it. I would eat pizza right now. If Ashley ever had a superpower, it would be the eat eat pizza superpower. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. It would be up there. In the top three at least. Jeff would definitely make the top three. Like, if I could pick one, I'd be sitting there looking at that list for a while. (laughs) Go hang out with the Bunyips, see if they'll share their powers with you. I don't know if I want to hang out with them yet, because you still haven't really said what's so terrifying about them, other than some of their physical characteristics sound creepy. Mm -hmm. So I don't don't know if I want to hang out with it, because it might eat me. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a really good sagu, actually. And to my next bullet point that I completely spelled out for myself here. Good one, <laughs> Ashley. <laughs> well played. They are definitely considered malevolent beings. Uh-huh. Uh, they can be viewed as protectors of wildlife, kind of, or of waterways of sorts. Uh, from what I gathered, if you, you really need to respect water and nature, or the bunyip will make you pay. Okay, I mean, that's fair. Well, it doesn't seem like that's always the case, but it's just that, hey, you're really going to piss off a bunyip if you if you don't respect this. So if you thought that you were safe before by just avoiding the water or something to a certain extent, if you do something that is disrespectful to the earth and the other spirits, that bunyip's got a mark on you and it's coming for you. So how it could... How it could hurt you is it could cause illness or it could possibly hug you to death. Oh, that's the best way to go. Uh-huh. Said no one ever. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it has gigantic claws, instead of ripping you to shreds, it's going to crush you to death. That sounds horrible and I don't it like does. it. Mm-mm. Or if they don't kill you and decide instead to cast a spell on you, they might turn you into a slave. I hate that, too. Yeah, I'm not a fan. That's another Vodyanoi type thing right there. I, I will say that this doesn't seem to be, like, a really common theme or common occurrence because I only read of it in one 
one tale of a woman that was enslaved by a bunyip. So I don't know. Are you sure she didn't really just want to be there? If there was only one tale, she's like, I was enslaved. I really just wanted to hang out. <laughs> that that might be... Uh, what, what was the story that you guys were talking about in your cramp words about the bear? <laughs> That's a story Doing for the bear? podcast. Do you have <laughs> podcasts to recommend for that? <laughs> no. That's a niche market I don't tread into. Sorry. Yeah, we're not going down that road. <laughs> when it comes to size, descriptions, again, vary pretty wildly from the size of a small dog to that of a hippo. But the general agreement is that it's really large. So, which makes sense. If it's going to be feared as a man eater and it could possibly crush you to death, it's probably pretty big. I would imagine that a dog's not too likely to hug you to death. Um, no, but here's my, my little question. What are we talking about? Like a grown hippo or like a baby? Because baby hippos are not actually that huge and they're cute. (laughs) Well, it didn't specify, but I would imagine that they're going, they discussed it as being a very large creature. So I would imagine that they're saying adult hippo. Okay. Well, that could eat someone then. Okay. Hippos are mean. Um, I don't want to mess with hippos. I, they might be mean, but they're actually pretty cute. They're basically giant. They are cute. They're giant water puppies. Just don't make them angry. <laughs> yeah. They're very cute. They do that cute thing with their ears. You know what I'm talking about? Where mm-hmm. they like wiggle. Mm-hmm. I love it. <laughs> Just so everyone knows, I really like hippos. So <laughs> so we need. So what we need to get you for your birthday next year is actually a hippo and a goat. Stuffed hippos and stuffed goats. Not yeah, jo- not a goats. real hippo because I don't. I don't think I could take care of it, and then it might kill me. But <laughs> just throw watermelons at it all the time, and it'll be fine. They don't eat those, though, do they? They could definitely crush it. Like that's not a problem. I guess I just don't know that much about what hippos eat. I think they're omnivores. They're really cute. I like their little feet when they swim. Have you seen the pink ones? I know I'm totally derailing everything now, but have you seen the pink hippos? <laughs> yes. No. I like pink hippos. They're cute. <laughs> <laughs> so someday when we get a P.O. box, somebody please send Ashley a cute little pink hippo. Yes. Oh my god, I would love that so we much. Need that. I want to squish it. <laughs> Just, I want to smoosh you. You're so cute. Okay. So, the bunyip. We don't really know what hippos eat. We're not biologists that know that kind of stuff. Not that kind of biologist, anyway. We don't know what hippos eat, but I can tell you that bunyips particularly like to carry off women and children. Who doesn't? Yeah, right. If you're a cryptid. How come all the creatures so far definitely want to eat babies and, like, also short women? This is not... Yeah. So men are probably safe unless they happen to be short for some reason. I think if you think about when a lot of these these cryptids that we've covered so far originated, the time periods in history, if a woman went wandering out by herself at night or a child went wandering out by herself by a body of water or just by herself in general down the road, the kind of danger that that posed to her compared to now it's still dangerous now for anybody to be wandering around by yourself at night but i think it was probably one a way to kind of instill fear inspire fear to keep people home and keep them safe and possibly another way is to control yeah patriarchy (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
It's never. It doesn't attack men because. But although, to be fair, the Banyup does, and I'll get into some stories about it attacking men. Yay! Good. <laughs> <laughs> equal opportunity murders are nothing for equal. <laughs> Another common description is what the banyip sounds like. So it has a fearsome, echoing roar that can be heard for miles, and it strikes absolute horror into the hearts of those that hear it. I delivered that terribly. I thought you were going to say it goes. Ee, ee. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> and then the water just happens. Ee, ee. Um, so now I'm like, maybe it kind of sounds like the T-Rex is in Jurassic Park. Like, I mean, that's a loud echoey roar sound that you can hear for miles. It is. Yeah, yeah. And the descriptions of it were, everybody knows its roar. Like, you know a, a bunyip's roar when you hear it, that it's explosive, it has this hollow sound or a bull-like, it's booming, it's this really big sound did you are you laughing at really big no i just pictured i just pictured someone yelling into a dingery too <laughs> i'm sorry i laughed too loud into the mic. <laughs> and that was the noise it was just someone just screaming into a dingery too what were you gonna say ashley Oh, no. I was just going to say I still think it kind of sounds like a T-Rex in Jurassic Park. Yeah, yeah. You're right. That does have a really There's scary... kind of like a hollow sound to that, I would say. Mm -hmm. I don't... Mm -hmm. Maybe they were inspired by the bunyip. I just really wanted to be a dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> well, you might be pleased with some of the theories about its natural origin then. Yes! When I get there. That's awesome. So it has this really big roar. And it's said that when Aborigines hear the roar of the bunyip, they're not going to go near that water source anymore. So if they hear that happening, they're like, no, you know what? Maybe we'll move somewhere else. I think that's a good call. So there there are a lot of theories that the, that really loud boom actually comes from all the uh, marshes that are around there. It's kind of a gas. It's a, a loud sound that happens when gases are released from marshes, which is, is fairly common all over the world. But it's theorize that that could be the origin of the bunyip boom because it is body of water right and you're probably not going to go wading into a marsh to go looking for what this is so just throwing that out there that's one of the theories i think that makes sense we can probably make one assumption that really it didn't come up directly uh, it wasn't directly mentioned anywhere but it was kind of alluded to and that's that the bunyip is most likely a nocturnal creature because most of the rumored attacks they occur at night. The earliest written account that spoke of the creature by name didn't actually arise from a sighting or from studies of the tribes. You would think that maybe somebody went out and was studying the tribes or talking with the tribes, but no. Instead, it came from a fossil discovery. Cool. Yeah, I, th I thought this was pretty cool, but it's also kind of funny when you, when you read into it. <laughs> On July 2nd of 1845, the Geelong Advertiser and Squatter's Advocate, yep, that's the name of the newspaper, published an article entitled Wonderful Discovery of a New Animal. And I read through this article. It's great. Apparently, the authors had found what they described as like a knee bone that appeared to be, quote, recent. 
In other words, it wasn't an ancient bone, but they call it a fossil. So I don't really know. Riddle me that one. And they claim that when they showed this bone to an Aboriginal man, this guy immediately identified it as a bunyip. So they asked him to draw a picture of what he thought the creature looked like. This is where the science gets a little shaky. They then showed the bone and the picture to multiple Aborigines independently and uh, claimed that they all recognized these as relating to the bunyip, which I think, like, you, you kind of have to call bullshit. This is shoddy methods. If you're going out there with stories of a bunyip already ingrained in this culture, and then you show them a picture drawn by someone who shares their culture, and then you're like, here's this bone. What do you think it is? It's not surprising that they all agreed. Ashley, what would that be called in court? Leading the witness? Well, it wouldn't be an acceptable lineup, I can tell you that for sure. Like, if you talk to witnesses and you're asking them to identify, you know, visually identify something, you need to show more than one picture. If you only show one picture, they're going to agree that that's correct because they know mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. the response you want to get. So really, you're contaminating your own witness. That's exactly what I was thinking. They're like, hey, this guy thought it looked like a bunyip bone. Do you think that this looks like a bunyip in the picture that he drew? And they're like, yeah, that looks like what I think a bunyip looks like. Oh, so that must be a bunyip bone. <laughs> I mean, the other possibility is, and I like this one a lot, even though I'm pulling it out of my ass, is uh, a bunch of aboriginal people were like, I'm going to fuck with this person and just be like, yeah, that's totally what that is. I mean, hardcore, I've seen this all the time. It ate my brother. Like, it's fine. <laughs> I love that idea. <laughs> like, let's fuck with them. They don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> and then they just sit back laughing and smoking and drinking at the end of the day. And make fun of how dumb that person was. That's, I like it. Mm -hmm. I think that's glorious. And that becomes a new story to be told. So anyway, the people who identified the bone in the picture, they went on to describe bunyip attacks that they knew of or which they themselves had been victims. So one man, um, this is where I'm saying it happens to men too. One man showed the researchers his chest and it was covered in scars that he claimed was ca caused by the claws of a bunyip which I thought was interesting because the big thing is that bunyips don't really claw you to death or anything. They crush you. But maybe he got too close to the water and the bunyips like, get out of here. This is my house. You can't come over here. Get out of my house. <laughs> get off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Now I'm kind of like imagining Wolverine for some reason. <laughs> like shit's just going south. <laughs> See, I kind of picture, now that you say Wolverine, I'm picturing it as like Clint Eastwood and Gran Torino, but with Wolverine claws. Like, get off my lawn! <laughs> get off my lawn, bub. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was beautiful. <laughs> so that's the bunyip, yeah. Uh, the authors then go on to describe the bunyip as told to them, which is every bit as weird as as what I was previously describing. They come up with a few other unique stuff that I'm not going to go into detail because we already know that it's freaking weird and it's, you know, all over the place. In 1847, the Australian Museum in Sydney put a skull on display for two days that they claimed was from a one-eyed bunyip. Two days and then it miraculously disappeared, right? 
A couple of renowned naturalists, however, concluded that this was actually just the skull of a deformed calf that someone had basically done some like like special taxidermy magic on this thing and they yeah. just made it look more convincing. So kind of like a Fiji mermaid, but with the skull. Yes, 100%. <laughs> In 1852, John Morgan wrote a book about a man named William Buckley. He was an English soldier who'd fought against Napoleon. But when he'd been found guilty of theft, he was sentenced to 14 years in prison. And guess what they do in Victorian England when you're sentenced to prison and they're trying to clean house because they're like in the middle of an economic downturn? Send you to a penal colony called Australia? They sure do. (laughs) (laughs) Come on over. Ten points to Gryffindor. (laughs) So at some point he he managed to escape. And then he went to live with the Aborigines. So in this book that John Morgan wrote about this guy, he wrote about his adventures. I think it's literally called something about his adventures. In the book written about his adventures, he, he recounted his experiences and encounters with the Bunyip. So he specifically said that he ran into the Bunyip, but it doesn't seem like any of them were really dramatic run-ins. Kind of, it was like a, I heard from my buddies and I saw one in the distance so I know what it looks like, but I don't really know what it looks like. It's big. Let me tell you, it's big. That's pretty much what it went like. Impressive, right? Oh, yeah. But everybody's like, oh, they put it in a book about a bunyip and he saw it. He's a real person. And he said he saw it. He said he saw a big thing out in the distance. Well, it's got to be real because he knew it was big. So. Yep. yep. <laughs> Checks out. Yeah, I think he said it was like the size of a horse. So it's pretty big. So there have been loads, loads and loads and loads of sightings over the years. Um, Lots of accounts of the roars, uh, but they're all so different. And I didn't really want to like dig in to all these personal accounts and detail each one because they're just so weird. And I didn't even want to go into the big ones. Like, it's just too much. Instead, we'll swing back around to the history of Australia and what creatures might have inspired the bunyip. Yay! Yeah, this is some of my favorite stuff. A scientist in the 1930s hypothesized that what people had actually been seeing were seals. Yay! <laughs> I like seals. Yes. Well, they're aquatic, I guess. Well, okay. These things are seen all over Australia, though, right? Bunyips yeah. are seen everywhere. And I didn't think it really made a whole bunch of sense because th- there were a bunch of sightings in landlocked, like the in landlocked bodies of water inside of the country. So it's being seen in lakes. Right? Yeah. Yeah, there's no seals. Yeah, no. What is it when you carry a boat over water, over land? Portage. Yes, I don't think a seal was portaging its ass over to a lake in land. <laughs> it's just not gonna happen. <laughs> so, I didn't... I We'll strike that idea. I don't think seal is a good one. So another one is that uh, people were seeing and hearing the Australian bittern. No, I'm sorry. Australia ate Australasian. There we go. Australasian bittern. (laughs) It's Australia and Asian smooshed together. I'm sorry. At one point you said Australate and I couldn't (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I'm okay. The Australasian bittern a.k.a. the bunyip bird. It's actually known as the bunyip bird. It's a bigger bird. It's related to the heron, um, which is also notorious for having a booming call. So this one's kind of a plausible explanation since the birds have long necks and booming calls. And there are some stories about 
the bunyip having a really long neck. And it's a big bird. So maybe if you're seeing it in a distance, especially as a kid, if a kid's coming running back like, I just saw a bunyip. I saw Satan. (laughs) (laughs) That's more alarming. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that makes more sense than the seal thing, at least. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, it, okay, so it's a big bird, right? But it only grows to about 30 inches tall or 75 centimeters. So it's not that big of a bird. Yeah, it's certainly uh, not a hippo-sized bird. No. Right? Not nearly as impressive anymore. Mm, yeah. But it's, I mean, it's a decent-sized bird. Next to me, that would be, you would think, oh, my gosh, that's almost a human-sized bird because I'm a teeny tiny person. Though. It's a it's a three-quarter Emily. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, are we measuring an Emily? <laughs> oh my god. This is the, the new unit of measurement. So the final possibility that I personally thought was the most plausible explanation is a giant marsupial that went extinct about 46,000 years ago. It's called the Diprotodon. These things were really, really big. They're like six feet tall, so it's 1.8 meters at the shoulder. So it's okay. pretty tall. Yeah. They, they could grow to over 12 feet long, 4 meters long, and would likely have weighed more than 3 tons or 2,700 kilograms. And when I looked at a picture of these things, they basically look like giant wombats or big-ass capybaras. That's pretty cool. Okay. Yeah. They're kind of cute. I like capybaras. They're really cute. Mm-hmm. I want to own one. It had that kind of face like a capybara. Like that, but supersized. Got mm-hmm. it. <laughs> Yeah, Texas-sized. This one's Australia-sized. Although, okay, so these things had... They had strong feet. Strong feet. They had really big, strong feet, like big-ass claws. It's an herbivore. So it's not definitely not going to be a man-eater. But they did exist alongside man in Australia for about 15,000 years. Okay. So okay. it certainly would have been an impressive and intimidating creature to encounter if you think about man just moving into this foreign country, this foreign land, and they're seeing this massive thing that they live alongside for 15,000 years. I'm sure if you pissed off a protodon, even if it's not going to eat you, it might actually crush you to death because mm-hmm. it's huge. Yeah. Right? So it's entirely realistic to think that this is probably where the stories originated and that throughout the years, over thousands of years, it's just kind of evolved into what is now the bunyip. There were actually even a recent discovery of what researchers say is a bunyip depiction in a cave painting in Victoria's Grampians National Park. I'm hoping I'm saying that correctly, Australia. Sorry. So that's in Southeast Australia. I looked at the pictures and it personally just looks like a big red amorphous blob to me it kind of looks like somebody sneezed red on the wall but it's also a picture that's online (laughs) it's just one picture (laughs) and i am not an expert so that's that's a bunyip right there (laughs) they have a guy and he's like haha check out this bunyip i did i made that (laughs) (laughs) so it's tens of thousands of years old but yeah it was hard to... I did not see Bunyip in that thing. It just... Big red blob. But I'm not an expert in cave paintings. Basically, you failed the Rorschach test. <laughs> I did fail the Rorschach. <laughs> so bringing this all back around to where we're at today, the Bunyip has really held the fascination of people all over the world for ages. I mean, obviously, Australia, it's 60,000 years ish 
that the bunyip idea has been around. It's been around for a long ass time. But, uh, you know, since Europeaners came around, 200 plus years, big deal. We're fascinated by it. It's such a fascination that they actually have um, a town and a newspaper in Australia that are named after it. When I was trying to look up bunyips, I found all this stuff and I was like, wait, this is just a town. There's nothing else. <laughs> I'm like, this is not something else. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know Bunyips had a Starbucks. <laughs> it does. It Everyone else does. <laughs> yeah. Right. Do not give the Bunyip caffeine. <laughs> it's also been um, a character in a whole bunch of children's books and songs, which I just thought it's not just children's books. It's been in a whole bunch of stuff, but so many of them are geared towards kids, which cracks me up because this thing is supposed to scare the crap out of kids. And they're like, let's sing about the happy little bunyip. <laughs> Why? Aren't I so cute? I might hug you to death. <laughs> <laughs> Stranger danger. So yeah, that's, that's the bunyip. Was that what you guys thought the bunyip was? No. No. No, I, I didn't have any idea. We hope you enjoyed your main course. We're going to go check on dessert, and we'll be right back. All right. Are you ready for dessert? Yes. Yes. Okay. Is it chocolate? <laughs> well, <laughs> it's dark, but it's not dark chocolate. <laughs> Well, I still Send want it. it back. I don't want it. <laughs> I still want it. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. I saw this one pop up in a couple places when I was looking up cryptids in Australia, and I just wanted to do this story so badly, but so I stuck it in at the end. So for our final dish, I'm serving up some phantom cats. <gasps> yeah. Meow. Do I look like a cat to you, boy? You see me prancing about all nimbly bimbly? Bimbly bimbly. From tree You see me drinking saucer from a milk? Wait, what? <laughs> nope. <laughs> I was listening to you. My brain completely was. <laughs> I don't think oh that's how that works. I don't. Oh. Literally, it just flipped it in my... Uh, yeah, anyway, moving on. So my sources for this are a cryptids fandom page on the Gippsland phantom cat. Yes. Sure. Gippsland. Gippsland? Gippsland. We're going with it. A 2020 ABC Newscastle article by Giselle Wakatama called Second Sighting of Puma-Sized Cat prompts another DPI investigation. And a 2020 article from the Sydney Morning Herald by Jewel Topsfield called The Hunt for Big Cats in Australia. Large phantom cats have been reported all over Australia, which is not home to any native large cats, such as panthers or jaguars. And the Sydney Morning Herald even claimed that thousands of sightings have been reported over the past century. I saw in one place it was like hundreds in the past couple, just the past couple of years. So there are tons of sightings of these things. The most popular contemporary sightings began in the 1970s. And if you do a, if you like, if you went out and you did a Google search for these, you're going to find tons and tons and tons of articles about these, uh, especially from like five years ago or so. So it's really becoming more common. So obviously the idea of big cats in Australia is not waning. Pictures and videos have been shared with the with researchers and uh it's there so this is stuff from citizens 
Okay. Everyday citizens who've seen these things, they've taken a picture, they've taken a video, and it scared the tar out of them. So they share these close encounters with researchers. And there have also been a whole bunch of livestock deaths associated with quote-unquote big cats. So Mm -hmm. people think that that's likely what's causing it. They can't really come up with another good explanation. None of the accounts or the encounters seem to be taken too seriously, though. They're often shrugged off as either hoaxes or, get this, oversized feral cats that are two to three times the size of a normal cat. That is literally the explanation. (laughs) (laughs) It's like teenage mutant ninja cats. Yes, like how... (laughs) As a scientist, right off the bat, how are you just like... Yeah, this makes sense. Two to three times the size of a normal cat. That's just going to happen. And then we're going to have so many of them running all over the place that there's lots of people seeing. Where are you coming up with this? That's a big-ass cat. That is a big-ass cat. (laughs) You know, they're just feral running around. It's fine. (laughs) It's totally normal. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. (laughs) They're just feral. (laughs) Right? Yeah, that's what they're saying. Just don't approach. It's fine. Not even a big deal. They're just feral. Whatever. <laughs> you know those rabies-ridden kitties? They grow extra large like Hulk size. It's Hulk kitties. Yeah. So I thought when I was when I was reading about this, I was just thinking if there are this many, there's so many sightings of these large cats. Like not just large cats, but really ridiculously abnormally large cats. There has to be some kind of validity to this, right? Mm-hmm. There are hundreds or thousands of people that have witnessed these things and have pictures and have pictures and videos. <laughs> like it's a thing. <laughs> There's even one incident of a man whose livestock had been killed. And when he went to investigate the paddock where the animals had been kept, he found unusual scat, which he turned over to researchers. He's like, this poop doesn't look like my cattle poop. Here, you have it. <laughs> Everything comes down to poo. <laughs> Everything comes down to poo. I didn't do this. They didn't do this. <laughs> Something did this. You should look at it. <laughs> Just remember, our number one test is your number is your two. Number two. Yeah. <laughs> the answer's not in your head. It's in your butt. <laughs> <laughs> so the the researchers took the poop. And they ran scientific tests on it, which I'm so glad I don't have to do that kind of science. It was determined by the researchers at La Trobe University to have come from a leopard. So this is from somebody's property. They're like, yep, that definitely came from a leopard. But guess what happened to that conclusion? What? They chucked it. It was thrown out. They never published it because there was a really small chance that it possibly was contaminated by some hairs from the Melbourne Zoo that were kept in the lab. Do they typically go around being like, and we're going to put some scat from this, put it in over here, and then we're going to put some from over here, and put it in over in that. Even if you had contamination in your in that one little thing that you were doing, it doesn't make any sense. This is a big cat. That's got to be a big turd. <laughs> and I can tell you from running DNA tests that you don't need, to, you don't need a cat-sized turd amount. <laughs> product to get DNA from it so <laughs> like there had to be leftovers I'm just picturing an actual cat sized turd now based off how you worded that like <laughs> you bring in this giant house cat sized piece of poop please just do some analysis of this so I, I don't know I thought that was pretty crummy because I'm just thinking there has to be more 
They have to have yeah. one sample. You don't. It's not like you took this tiny little bit. The guy provided the poop. You probably have yep. a baggie of poop just chilling in a freezer somewhere because that's what scientists do. That's what we do. You freeze poop. <laughs> I well, I found cardinals and mice in the freezer the other day. Oh, and a snake. That's right. Yep. Apparently somebody had kept the pet snake at the lab, and then it died, and rather than throw it out, they just stuck it in a freezer! <laughs> what the fuck? Science. <laughs> <laughs> they must have been like, I'll do something with this someday. So basically, science is just putting stuff that doesn't go in a freezer. In a freezer. <laughs> yep. <laughs> in a baggie, and then a freezer. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the... The most common explanation for how large cats appeared on the island was as a result of the actions of U.S. soldiers following World War II. I guess the U.S. had two pumas, which they kind of kept as mascots in Australia during the war. And it's speculated that following the end of the war, uh, the pumas were just set free, which I I didn't dig into it any further. So I don't know if there's any evidence to support it. But I don't know, like, why, if you ship the damn things there, why didn't you ship them back? So it's kind of like the cocaine hippos. Yeah. What? <gasps> you don't know about the cocaine hippos? Oh my no. god. Tell her, tell her, tell her, tell Okay, her. so you know who Pablo Escobar was, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay, he's a Colombian drug lord. Well, mm-hmm. he had more money than he knew what to do with, so one of the things he did with some of that money was make his own, like, little mini zoo. Oh yeah, I knew about that. And in that zoo, he had several hippos that were just chilling. And after, you know, he was killed and they had to start selling off all of his property, one of the things they had to do was round up all these animals because they're not native to the country. So what ended up happening was uh, apparently the hippos were just like too difficult to deal with. So they were like, we'll just let them hang out and just let them go. And now there's a whole bunch of what are called cocaine hippos just hanging out wreaking havoc. <laughs> Look at her face. My mind is blown. So it's like the cocaine hippos. <laughs> there's a but part of me that's us. like, that is amazing. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. It is like that. Yep. So it's exactly like that, but with pumas in Australia. Now I need to go <laughs> read about these. Yeah, it's a whole thing. They're actually talking. They're actually talking about possibly having to cull them because they're causing a lot of problems in the ecosystem. So, it's not good. Well, yeah, that's a big freaking animal. Yeah. I mean, it's bad enough when you bring over an insect. Of course, insects breed a lot faster, but still. Well, apparently these hippos get down to business a lot because they've multiplied. (laughs) (laughs) Like the stories of the bunny man? Yes, exactly like that. <laughs> well, I was today years old when I learned that. I had never heard of the cocaine hippos before. That's amazing. I'm a little worried. It, it concerns me. <laughs> but I'm very interested in that now. <laughs> <laughs> so, for the cats, the other potential explanation are that cats um, it might have escaped from zoos or circuses and it was just never reported. And there were accounts of people like getting in and doing interviews with like the old-timey circus owners and operators Mm -hmm. and saying that, yeah, that there were occasions where they lost cats or they had to set them free or something. So that's that's possible. 
The cats are described as pumas, jaguars, panthers, and mountain lions, which I think pumas and mountain lions are very similar. They're yeah. pretty much the same thing. I think actually one of those descriptions technically qualifies for all of them, but whatever. We're just going to list them all out there because that's what they're described as. So they definitely vary a little bit, but not a whole lot. They're all really big cats. And they're usually black or brown in color. So chocolatey. There's your chocolate, <laughs> Ash. Delicious. I'm not going to eat a cat. <laughs> no. It might eat me, though, if I make it yep. angry. <laughs> yeah, Which is appropriate for Australian dessert. So... Yeah. I saw a lot of speculation that if cats, if big cats were set free, the climate in Australia would be really ideal to build a solid population of big cats, especially over many years. I think that this would, I'd have to disagree with a blanket statement like that. Because if you think about, there are big cats in like Siberia, Mm -hmm. right? There are big cats all over the world and Australia might be really great for some of them and it might be really bad for others. So because we don't know where they originally came from or the kind of climate that they originally inhabited. You can't say that it would be that good, but I do think that there is something to these accounts that this many people are seeing them and it's been caught on video a lot. And if you go and you look at these videos, they do look like really big cats. (laughs) You're going, that does not look like a regular house cat. Is it entirely possible that it could be a situation kind of where um, private owners had let them out? Like they had owned a bunch of large cats like the Tiger King? Like the Tiger King, yeah. That it, type of that situation. That could also be a... Yep. I don't know if you guys remember a few years ago, there was a guy in Ohio that had like a wild... Uh, it was like an African animal safari type thing, and he let them all go. Yes. So... I feel like I heard something about that, yeah. It happens. People do that. Yeah. yeah. It was all over the news. Like, watch out. You might have a lion in your backyard in central Ohio. Like, it's a thing. Yep. So it's possible. It was kind of weird reading through the many articles because although the researchers are like, it's, it's just a big ass cat. It does look like they think that there are, that there is validity to the claims and they just can't say that, yes, there are big cats here because they don't have that solid, solid conclusive evidence to say that yet, which I get, but then test the poop again, man. So this one is an evolving cryptid story. This one's ongoing. And I can't remember if you said it at the beginning. Are they in one specific area of Australia or are they kind of just all over? Um, I'm trying to remember. I, I know that it was it was widely spread, but it wasn't like all over Australia. I think okay. it was the northwest side, but I could okay. be. No, well, where's Victoria? I don't know Australia that well. I'm sorry, Australia. We have like one listener down there and I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know. It's okay. That person probably is already annoyed that in the episode that I did, I was like, koalas probably are nice. And you guys were like, no, they'll fuck you up too. And I was like, well, I didn't know that. <laughs> Victoria's in southeastern Australia. Well, then I don't know. I'm making things up. Of course, it could be okay. news all over the country. So I don't know. But anyway, that's kind of an evolving story. We might, it's possible that we might in the near future find out that there are actually big cats that have made Australia their home. And that is the phantom cat story. It was short, but sweet, short and sweet until we had hippos, but the hippos were amazing. So I'm totally into that. Yeah. Sorry about, (laughs) sorry about the hippos. It all comes back to hippos. I really like hippos. So I know things about hippos and also I'm working on a thing for 
I'm covering Pablo Escobar for the other show at some point, so I'm working on that. <laughs> Yay! I'm excited about that. That's a that's a big story. So does anybody have anything good to talk about today? Um, my dog is now squeaking a raccoon. <laughs> well, I guess that could be my good thing, is I bought River some toys, and I guess she likes them. But, like, it'd be Yay. swell if she'd stop chewing on this raccoon while we're trying to do what we're doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> Anything that squeaks, she needs to rip open and remove the squeaker from and then chew on the squeaker until it can never, you know, spread its evil squeak into the universe ever again. And then she just forgets about it and leaves the carcass on the ground. <laughs> Do you have anything good to share, Linz? I dyed my hair purple. Yeah, yeah, you did. And it looks so good. It's lavender. I pulled it up, but yeah. Although there is one section, it's funny because my sister Maddie was the one that did my hair for me because I would not have been able to do it by myself. It would have looked horrible and I probably would have had to shave it off. And she was struggling because she would always find these like pockets of blonde as she was applying the purple dye to it. And there is one pocket that, so I have like this one little like skunk strip Streak. on my set. On my side of blonde, but it's, you can't really notice it because it kind of blends in a little bit with the rest of it, but yeah, I like it. What was she yelling? What was Maddie yelling? She was just like, God damn it. She's like, why won't this blonde go away? Where are they hiding? <laughs> she, kept like, she would rub stuff in and then she would kind of like, you know, pull it to like make sure that everything was saturated. And she'd be like, where did this one come from? Oh my God. And then she's like rubbing it, like rubbing in the dye in these new pockets of dry blonde that she would find. It was funny. I can only imagine you were dying of laughter. Yeah. I was <laughs> chuckling a lot. It was pretty funny. I didn't have anything too particularly great. Just the, the funny anecdote about my cat failing to get his fat ass up on something. <laughs> That was pretty funny, though. That was. <laughs> All the time. My favorite is when uh, he's up on our kitchen table and he wants you to pet him, but he's not paying attention to where the edges are, so he'll just walk up right off the edge of the table. Oh, my God. <laughs> he'll just somersault off the edge he's so big. <laughs> he's giving me the dirty, dirty look now. He's like, Sorry I know you're it. talking about me. Uh. <laughs> So, shall I uh, read one of our amazing reviews? Yes. All right. This one comes to us from Djibouti's, and it's <laughs> titled Hooked on Pineapple Pizza Podcast. Djibouti says, I'm glad I stumbled across this podcast because the host managed to inform while making me laugh. Definitely give this show a listen! Exclamation point. Yay. Yay. Thanks. Thanks, Djibouti. Shall I close it up? Sure. Let's close shop for the night, ladies. Thank you for visiting our beautiful pizzeria and enjoying a slice of Australian cryptids. Pineapple Pizza Podcast. Sweet and cheesy. Not everyone understands our awesomeness, but we're glad you do. Question mark? If you're enjoying the show and you'd like to help support us, Check out our Tee Public shop for some amazingly fun and funny merch. Or if you want to do a one-time donation, you can do that on buymeacoffee.com and buy us a fresh slice. Because we can never get enough of basically anything, if we're being honest. 
If you absolutely love the show and you want to check out some fantastic bonus content, you can become a donor on Patreon and earn all kinds of amazing benefits. We have three tiers to accommodate almost any budget. The $3 Mythbuster, $7 Cryptid Hunter, and $15 Storyteller. Become a patron today and start enjoying all the perks and extra content right away. Don't forget, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at PineAppPizzaPod. That's PineAppAppPizzaPod. You can also send us questions, comments, and topic ideas at PineAppAppPizzaPod at gmail.com. Remember, there's the two P's in app. Otherwise, you're emailing someone else, and I don't want to be held responsible for that. Thanks for stopping in for some deliciously weird morsels. And just remember, no matter how you slice it, you're awesome. And we love you.